This is case 11 from Shoyoroku. Yunmen's two sicknesses. <coughs> the introduction. The bodiless men suffer illness. The handless man compounds medicine. The mouthless man ingests it. A senseless man is well. But tell me, how do you treat a mortal disease? The case. Great Master Yunmen said, when the light does not penetrate freely, there are two kinds of sicknesses. One is when all places are not clear and there is still something before you. Having penetrated the emptiness of all things, suddenly it seems like there is something. This too is the light not penetrating freely. Also, the Dharma body has two kinds of sickness. One is when you manage to reach the Dharma body, but because your clinging to Dharma is not forgotten, your sense of self still remains and you fall into the realm of the Dharma body. Even if you can pass through, if you let go, that won't do. Examine carefully. What breath is there? This too is sickness. The verse. The dense web of myriad form is so precipitous. Passing through beyond location blocks the eyes. Sweeping out his garden, who has the strength? Hidden in a person's heart, it naturally produces feelings. A boat crosses a rustic ford, wet with autumn's aquamarine, sailing into the reed flowers, shining on the, slow, on the snow, bright. With a bolt of silk, an old fisherman takes it to the market. Floating in the wind, a single leaf travels on the waves. Third day of Sashin, as if you haven't noticed. And slight changes in the schedule raises eyebrows, doesn't it? It's supposed to follow the schedule. We can't even rely on that. What do we rely on? What works? So many hours of Zazen and we go through many experiences of that which we call self and that which we call the environment. It happens in the form of thoughts, emotions, images, memories, 
self-narrative. First, we encounter events that took place before we got here. Right? And then when this subsides, the process subsides. Then we may futurize for a little bit. And that dies down. If you sit long enough, that dies down too. Then maybe you start to think about other people around you here. Wonder what's going on in their heads. Wonder how they're feeling. And between those uh, escapes, we get little glimpses of gaps of no thought, of nothing to chew on, nothing to graze on for the mind. Open space, undefined territory, maybe even some clarity. But that gets a little scary because as curious as we may be about it, it feels as if we are losing the ground, as if there is nothing to rely on, nothing to stand on, nothing to be defined by. So then we pull right back into looking for some kind of a, a juicy nugget of thought, memory, emotion, something, just so I can hold on to something. Let it go completely, diving into that undefined territory. At the beginning is scary. It's natural. So we go through that over and over again and then we start to get a little bit more comfortable with the discomfort, a little bit more courageous with the fear. So we stay there a little longer before we run back and begin chewing again. And if it happens enough times, something very interesting happens. You actually do get comfortable. And you start to trust that which is undefined. We, t we speak of trust a lot. <coughs> to trust what we don't know, to trust the unknown. But it's not that we are not trusting. We are trusting. Very much so. We trust the known. We always trust something. The storyline. The definition, the self-definition. And the practice is asking us to dive into and trust what you don't know and try and get comfortable there. 
So when we do get comfortable there, we also begin to experience some peace. And it feels good. Well, it feels good to not harass yourself for a little while, doesn't it? Of course it feels good. It feels so good, but there is a little bit of a catch there because it feels good. It feels as if this is the point, the destination. Right? All I have to do is just find a way to stay there as long as possible, hoping that one day I will just be there all the time. I will just experience peace at all times. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? But think about it. Think about the difference between grasping thoughts, emotions, storyline, and then falling into that which feels good. An experience of turmoil and confusion produces in you feelings, thoughts, and images that you become identified with as the one who is having those experiences. The one who is thinking, feeling, defined. And then an experience of calmness and peace also produces feelings, thoughts, and images that you can become identified with as the one who is having them. But what is the difference? Or is there a difference at all? I mean, you could say that the latter is a preferred state of being. It's much more healing on all levels. And it is. Of course. It calms down the nervous system. The blood flows better. You can think more clearly. So, yeah. It looks like a good last stop. My Yunman is warning us here to, to watch out, not dwell here either. He's saying, the light not penetrating freely, right? And as such, this is also a sickness. I don't know if you remember, you may remember Yunmen. He appears quite often in, in, in all three books that we study, Quran books. And his lineage did not last more than a few generations. He was a very fierce teacher. Rinza was also fierce, Linji was also fierce, but Yunmen belong to a different category. And there is an interesting description by John C. H. Yu of Yunmen's style. This is a book about the five houses of Zen. And he describes Yunmen in relation to the other four. He said, Zen masters, like other men, people, may be divided into two types, 
Some are slow breathers and others are fast breathers. Of the founder of founders of the five houses of Zen, Kweishan, Tungshan, that's Tungshan, Tozan, Fayan, belong to the slow breathers, while Linchi and Yunmen belong to the fast breathers. Of these two, Linchi breathes fast enough, but Yunmen breathes faster still. Linchi kills his foes in the heat of the battle. He utters shouts under fire. When the lion roars, all other animals take cover. No one can encounter him without his head being chopped off by him. It makes no difference whether you are Buddha, a Bodhisattva, or a Patriarch. Linchi will not spare you if he should chance to encounter you. So long as you bear a title or occupy any position, Linchi will send out his true men of no rank to kill you off in a split second. So terrible is Linchi, but more terrible is Yunmen. Linchi only kills those who he happened to encounter. Yunmen's massacre is universal. He does away with all people even before they are born. To him, the true man of no title is already the second moon. Therefore, a phantom not worth a trouble of killing. Humans, humans seldom, if ever, resort to shouts or beating. Like a sorcerer, he kills by cursing. His tongue is inconceivably venomous. And what makes the case even worse is that he is the most eloquent of the Zen masters. It's quite amazing. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the Buddha's birthday. And here there's a mention of... You remember when the Buddha was born, he took seven steps and he said, I alone am the world-honored one. Here... There's an example of Yunmen talking about this with his students. And then he said, If I were witness of that scene, I would have knocked him to death with a single stroke, that is the Buddha, and given his flesh to dogs for food. This would have been some contribution to the peace and harmony of the world. Did you get the idea? His style. Yeah, that is Yunmen. Quietly, with one word. He also is the one, was the one who said, every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. And they say that his teachings, each word contains three words. So deep. The first one harmonizes, right, goes along. The second goes along with it. So you harmonize, then you go along, and then the last cuts it off. It's always remind me of Aikido practice. First you harmonize, then you move together, then there is this explosion of the throat. That was a while before Aikido, but I think it's the same in motion. Anyway, 
just so you get the flavor of the style. So, the light not penetrating freely. So the moment you experience peace, calm, tranquility, and you feel good there, that is, that could be, the light not penetrating freely. Master Foyan describes the initial years of practice as riding a donkey while looking for a donkey. Then he said that that is a disease as well. Then he said, when you realize that we are actually on the donkey, we are unwilling to dismount, because it feels good, it's a nice ride. That he called a disease as well. And then he said, the second is much harder to cure. Much harder to cure. Well, maybe because you think I've worked so hard for it, I'm not going to let it go. Took me years to get to that. That's how deep the grasping habit goes. Our grasping consciousness, our habit-ridden consciousness. So we need to when we practice, we need to recognize that the mind doesn't care what it is that it will chew on, hold on to, identify with. It doesn't. Because the need to identify has nothing to do with what it is that we are identifying with. It's just a need. A false need, but it is still a need. So we're willing to let go with one hand as long as the other one is holding on to something else. But how do we let go altogether, completely? We're willing to let go as long as there is something else to be defined by. I'm not fighting, I'm at peace. If I'm not this, I'm that. If I'm not realized, I must be deluded. If I'm not a success, I must be a failure. If I'm not here, I must be there. And on and on and on, we separate. If it's not difficult, it must be easy, right? Just looking for solidity. Linji said, how do you drive a nail into an empty sky? And that's what we try to do. We try to nail a sign. This is who I am. But the nail does not go anywhere. Nothing is holding it up there. That's why we have to work so hard to think. Because we have to keep creating it over and over and over. I gotta think about it because if I don't think about it I don't know who I am. If I don't think about it I don't know who I am. That's what you experience, not knowing who you are. That's why it feels so good. And that's why it's a disease as well. So we bring that into the practice 
thinking that this grasping mind, thinking that if I do this long enough, I will arrive somewhere. I will become what I want to become. I don't like this. I showed up to practice because I'm having difficulties, whatever difficulties are, and I'm, I feel restless, unsatisfied, not at peace. And if I practice, I will little by little, step by step, get there. But the practice does not work like that. It's not this stairway to heaven like the Led Zeppelin song. Right? You take step by step and one day you find yourself there. It just doesn't work like that. A monk once asked or told Joshua, I've emptied out my mind. And Joshua said, throw it out. And the monk said, but I got nothing there. What am I going to throw out? Then carry it out, replied Joshua. If you don't want to throw it out, carry it out. Or maybe you want to carry it around for a while before you carry it out. Maybe you want it on your shoulders. So how do we measure practice? Is there progress? Is there such a thing as progress in the practice? If we can't define it, if we cannot identify it, there is, but it's not a conventional progress. It's more like progressless progress. Progress, less progress. You are progressing, but you're getting nowhere. I don't know if that's disappointing. So in this Quran, Yunman is talking about the depth of understanding. The depth of understanding that cannot be grasped, identified, or even talked about. So we have to watch how we unpack his words. We have to carefully watch what we do with what he's saying. So stages of practice. I want to talk a little bit about Dongshan's five ranks. Tozan, all lineage. He tried to break down the, the so-called stages of realization and what he named as the five ranks. And he illustrated each of them using a short poem. And some talk about a pre-stage one, before the stage one. At this stage, one is fully engaged and absorbed in the physical reality. And only in this physical reality. One is still unaware of the other reality. Or on the other side but the other side of the same coin. In that pre-stage, one's main focus and attention is on the day-to-day -day survival as well as the physical accumulation of stuff, wealth, education, whatever it is. This is because one is able to see only this physical world as real. The spiritual and transcendental reality are not yet 
perceived as real. This is what's called, without an understanding, the provisional truth prevails. You may have heard that before. Without an understanding, without spiritual understanding, the provisional truth prevails. And one of the things I like about this saying is that it's not saying it's false. So all the challenges, right, work challenges at home, difficulties, fears, it's true, it's real. On the level of the provisional. Without understanding, without bringing the fundamental into the provisional, seeing that the fundamental is in the provisional, we get lost in the day-to-day -day stuff. And it gets accumulated and gets heavy. We can't move around so fluidly. So that's that pre-stage. The first stage is the relative within the absolute. In the third watch of the night, before the moon appears, no wonder when we meet there is no recognition. Still cherished in my heart is the beauty of earlier days. Stage one. In this stage, one is experiencing a reality beyond conception. So the glimpses we get in between when one thought dies and the other one is not yet born. Before, at the bottom of the exhalation, before you start to inhale again, at that point. One's priority in life change, it says here, and more emphasis is placed on the importance of spirituality at that stage. Obviously, we show up, we practice, we, we make it a priority. More time and energy is directed towards the pursuit of spiritual understanding and growth. Material comfort and accumulation become secondary, but the rational mind still tries to grasp. And so spirituality itself can become the new identity. And that would be equivalent to turning medicine into poison. Being on the path of awakening, falling deeper into sleep. The second one is the absolute within the relative. The dawn has come to the surprise of an old woman as she chances upon an antique mirror in which she sees herself. Clearly and distinctly she sees her own face, so different from all the images she had formed of herself. We meet ourselves but not what we know. So amazing. From now on, she will no longer ignore her own head and grasp at its mere shadows. Or maybe, as we say, she will not put a head on a head, as we do. <clears throat> John Wu, from what I read before, describes this stage as a centripetal movement at this point, one realizes the vastness of reality from within the midst of the relative and moves towards the core or the true self. Hakuin says that at this point, one is neither conversant with the deportment of the Bodhisattva, nor does he understand the casual conditions 
for Buddha land. Although he has clear understanding of the universal and true wisdom, he, she, cannot cause to shine forth the marvelous wisdom that comprehends the unobstructed interpenetration of the manifold Dharma. A place to be stuck. In simple words. This is the stage where the rational mind comes against the wall. It sees the limitation of names, labels, concepts, and beliefs, and realizes that the true reality is ungraspable. From that point, the only way to go deeper is to fully trust the unknown and jump off the precipitous cliff without a parachute or safety net. This is what is often described as facing the great death. And it is essential in Zen training. It is essential to get to that. And it is essential to jump. It is also essential that nobody will tell you that they will catch you. I think it's a point of no return at this point, is what he's describing as, as stage two. You know, you, you can't go back to the way things were because you feel like you're lying to yourself. You can look at yourself in the mirror, but yet you feel like you're stuck because you have to muster up the courage to jump. So you're kind of in a limbo. The third stage is coming from within the absolute. In a cloud of dust, he follows a secret road beyond the reach of dust. In a cloud of dust, following a secret road beyond the reach of dust. Within. He excels in keeping unsaid things tabooed at present. Yet, he says, more than the most eloquent tongues of the past. More than the lineage we have chanted, these people have said, more than they have left behind. Or talking too much, saying too much. Talking about the truth does not make it so, does it? That's why we try to shut up for a while, so we don't deceive ourselves. This is the stage of rebirth after deep realization, the bliss of awakening. At this stage, one realizes how impossible it is to convey in words things he has personally experienced and intimately known to people who are still in the first stage. Don't get caught up in these stages, by the way. And how misleading it would be to them if he were to offer them some neat and easily memorized formulas instead of the real thing. But that too can become a trap and a how-to-cure disease. It's what Master Foyan means by 
We are unwilling to dismount the donkey once we realize we are on the donkey. Dogen would say that this is a time to buy new straw sandals, get back on the road. So practice continues. Practice continues. The fourth one, he called arriving at mutual integration. <coughs> When two blades cross points, there's no need to withdraw. The master swordsman is like the lotus blooming, blooming in the fire. Such a man has in and of himself a heaven-soaring spirit. At this stage, one is able to experience the unity of the absolute and the relative without any need to differentiate or categorize. as we chanted this morning, like two arrows meeting in midair. There is perfect dynamic skillfulness in functioning. The functioning is already infused with what we call the relative and what we call the absolute. It's already there. Even so, that can also become a stale place to dwell in. As before, practice continues. Any water that sits there for a while starts to stink, doesn't it? Pure water, clean, clear. After some time, I don't think you would want to drink it. It's not nourishing anymore. Gotta find the flow, you gotta find the movement again. The fifth one, unity attained. Lo, he has arrived at supreme unity beyond the is and the is not. Who dares to follow the rhymes of his poetry? Let others aspire to the extraordinary. He is happy to return home and sit amidst ashes. I don't know if you remember uh, Joshua, when he was very old, said that when he first started to practice, he thought he's going to save people. And then he said, look at me now, I have nothing. I barely have my shirt and something to wear a few gray ashes on my head. And then he said, who would have thought I would become an idiot? One of the greatest Zen masters of all times was realized, enlightened when he was 19 years old and died when he was 119, 100 years of realized living. Who would have thought I would become an idiot? That's the idiot. That's the idiot. He is happy to return home and sit amidst the ashes. He is happy to be exactly where you are now. In the midst of your circumstances. With the bills you have to pay. With the kids you may have to send to college. 
with everything you describe as obstacles, the ashes, all the heart of what we call suffering. So, what Dongshan is saying here, this stage is a complete is a stage of complete integration. At this point, the Buddha Dharma manifests and actualizes in everyday life, and one has no longer no longer has no need to harmonize with it. It's innate. When the search for tranquility is deemed irrelevant, it is found in the midst of ashes, exactly where one is. At that point, compassion and wisdom are realized as non-dual. You and others are non-dual. And the practitioner's life becomes a vehicle for goodness, a life of service for others. which is exactly the way practice continues. That Even that is not a goal. So you're probably asking, what is the goal? You're asking what is the goal because you assume there is a goal. Because you don't want to have no goals. Without goals, what direction are we going to Set to us. But the practice is the means and the goal. One moment of Zazen is it. Not just that. The first time you the first time you got on the cushion and sat, put your hands in the mudra, cut your back straight, paid attention to your breath observed the chaos. That is the practice of realization. It is already the practice of realization. Whether you practice one day or 50 years. It doesn't matter. It does matter, but it doesn't matter to, to the fact that you are practicing realization rather than waiting for realization to come. And in that, you experience many experiences and many depths, absolutely. During the first few years of practice, we recognize that old habits die hard. We recognize that the mind is grasping. So even with that, at different stages, we recognize here is what I'm feeling and here is how I want to grab onto it for dear life. But I think that if we can put more emphasis on the experience rather than on the grasping mind, then we keep moving. We keep going. Without the where. Put down the where. Where are we going is not that important. Not for practice.
instead of letting things be as they are, what we do is we make something out of nothing. Right? We experience no thingness and then we make somethingness out of it. Instead of really using all the ingredients in our lives, we pick and choose. Instead of losing the imagined self, we fortify it with the practice. How sad is it? Yunman's words, <coughs> when everywhere, everywhere is not illumined and there is still something in front of you, is one illness. Those are the same words as Dongshan's in five rank, saying the old woman clearly sees her face. There is no other reality. But unavoidably, she mistakes the reflection for the head. This is why we chant, encountering the Absolute is not yet enlightenment. Right? It feels good. Well, I'm going to just stay here for a little while. The view is nice. The air is fresh. Why not? And then the commentary says, if you, have the, if you have the eye to settle heaven and earth and are most thoroughgoing without letting so much as a thread slip out, only then you will attain somewhat, something. Only then, only if you can be very careful to not grasp. Yunman then says, penetrating the emptiness of all things, suddenly there seems to be something this too, this too, is because the light does not penetrate freely. In the heroic march scripture it says, even if you extinguish all perception and discernment and keep to inner hidden tranquility, inner, either, it's hidden tranquility and then we find it and it's no longer hidden to us, this still is a reflection of discriminating and conceptual objects. It seems as if there is something there. We call it peace. We feel it, experience it, and we can grab it. We can grab it. Dongshan advises us to not get stuck here. He says, if you're still, you sink into stagnant water. If you move, you are limited to the present. Thus, when going outward, do not react. When going inward, do not dwell in emptiness. When going outward, that's the mundane, the every, what we call mundane, the everyday, functioning, the relative. When dealing with the relative, do not react. Don't take it so seriously. Who's that? I think it was uh, Thich Nhat Hanh who said, life is too precious to be taken seriously. Or was it Suzuki? I don't remember. Suzuki, thank you. Life is too precious to be taken seriously. He says, do not react. When going inward, do not dwell in emptiness. Outwardly, not pursuing ramification. Inwardly, not abiding in trance. Not pursuing, not making a big deal out of things or out of yourself. Naturally, you will get beyond the three sicknesses and the two lights all at once. After that, 
put it penetrating or not penetrating to one side, examine carefully. What breath is there? As Yunman says, what breath is there? This too is sickness. This would be various degrees of refusing to dismount the donkey. My way of holding on to the donkey. It's my donkey. It's my donkey. When he says here, if you move, you are limited to the present. It's important to note that and not to degrade Zen practice to being in the moment. Very important, especially for us. Because it's limiting it. It's not about being in the moment. And it's not about being the moment. It is very, very subtle. Remember that. The verse. The dense web of myriad forms is so precipitous. Sweeping out his garden, who has the strength? And the statement of truth scripture says, the myriad forms and multitude of appearances are the impressions of a single truth. The one is many, the many are one. That is this, nothing else. Let them be high and precipitous, an enormous mass. One does not pull weeds in a wild field. The clear ground, after all, misleads people. Even if you can pass through beyond location, this is just what blocks the eye. Let them be high and precipitous. Let it be exactly as it is. Let it be what you may call difficult. Let it be what you may call challenging. Make nothing out of it. Let it be exactly as it is. One does not pull weeds in a wild field. Imagine that. Going around pulling weeds all your life. They keep growing. You keep pulling them out. That's what we do. And even if you can pass, beyond, pass through beyond location, this is just what blocks the eye. The complete enlightenment scripture says illusory states of mind are not annihilated either. This show is the other show. Your destination is this. This is where you want to go. This is exactly where you want to be. In the midst of the ashes. The footnote says here, let them be, how can they hinder you? Let them be, how can they hinder you? So we look, we talked about it yesterday. We test the assumptions feels like a thorn in my foot. Really? Is that why you're limping? 
Yeah, it feels as if I have a thorn in my foot. So I have to limp. Jack, look. Is it like that or does it only feel like that? If you know them, it says in the footnote, if you know them, they are not enemies. You look, you see, well, I was really afraid of this. But then I look at it for a while and I can deal with that. I was running away from it, but then you stop running, turn around. What am I running away from? What have I been running away from all my life? Get to know. Zazen, you get to know yourself in most intimate way. Spend a lot of time with yourself, quietly, with no entertainment. Sometimes people want music while we sit. That relaxing music is very nice, very soothing. As the mind comes and says, I need something, give me something. Okay, I'll settle down on some background music. Like in the supermarket. Relaxes me. When you get in touch with your fears, you face them and embrace them. They lose power over you. And you get the strength, as, as it says here. Who has the strength? If you can let them be, you will understand the words of the point there. A bodiless person suffers illness. A bodiless person suffers illness. create something and then you react to what you create you create a self and Newman said when everywhere is not clear and there is something before your eyes before you this is a sickness he was not telling you this is from the commentary he was not telling you to get rid of illusory objects annihilate illusory mind and seek some other place of transcendence. The third patriarch says the six senses are not bad. Instead, they are the same as true enlightenment. It's not bad. It's not something to reject. Again, how do you drive a nail into an empty sky? See, the, the, the clouds are an obstacle. They seem like that. But they're not. It feels like it's sitting on you. But is it? It says it's together with the complete enlightenment scripture, knowing illusion, one is detached. Without employing any technique, one detaches from illusion. From yeah, from illusions. Without any process, without any process. Then one sees doing, stopping, letting be, and extinction. Without doing anything, what are we doing? Passing through beyond location blocks the eyes. Again, 
when you think you have gotten somewhere in your practice, that thought itself is blocking your progress. Isn't that the lunacy we, cre we create? When we create obstacles and then try so hard to get beyond them. I want to get to some other more tranquil place. Some other place. You want to get somewhere else. By wanting to get somewhere else, you block yourself. By wanting to be realized, you become further deluded. By wanting to be realized somewhere else. Maybe that's better. Have you ever considered that where you are may be exactly where you want to go? And the footnote says, don't add a flapper to a flail. Do not add complications to entanglements. Don't add a flapper to a flail. It's cute. The road ahead has always been wide and open. It's always been this way. Hidden in a person's heart, it naturally produces feelings. Each line of this verse is a gem. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel this way. <laughs> Hidden in a person's heart, it naturally produces feelings. You can run, but you can't hide. Mask it as deep as you want, but your words and actions will naturally reveal your true state of being. You can slap a smile over it. You remember what Ram Das once said, if you think you're so enlightened, go spend a week with your parents. Very quickly, you'll know where you're at. You may not like it, but you'll know where you're at, which is good. Right? We must be truthful and honest with ourselves, right? And and we have to take the time to examine all the assumptions. I have arrived. And, you know, we are walking on a path and there are different sections of the path that may be very nice and we may want to stay there for a while. But if we stay there for a while, we start to grow roots into that. And then you can't move. can't move. A boat crosses a rustic fold, wet with autumn's aquamarine, sailing into the reed flowers, shining on the snow, bright. The commentary says, even though the pure light shines in your eyes, it seems you have missed your home. It is shining in your eyes, it seems you have missed your home. Even turning around in pure clarity, after all, you get bogged down in that state. The other shore may be bright, but the moon of enlightenment is hazy. It is not what we expect it to be. This is why in one koan it says, 
Hearing the name is better than seeing the face. But then seeing the face is better than hearing the name. It's not what you think it is. It's not what you have in your mind as a description of realization. It's like nothing you have in your mind. So maybe instead of looking for enlightenment, maybe we should work on being less stubborn. And that will free us a little bit more. More trusting. Learn to not take our thoughts so seriously. Even the ones about realization and delusion, even those are not fixed. With a bolt of silk, an old fisherman takes it to the market. Floating in the wind, a single leaf travels on the water. This is a handless person compounds medicine, a mouthless person ingests it, a senseless person is well. senseless person as well. <coughs> I was talking to Rezan today in Dokusan how I think sometimes we we set foot on traveling, you know, and we go all around the globe and we come back to where we started and we realize there it is. I've always been here. Why did I do that? Why did I exhaust myself? But I don't know if there's a way around it. I think we have to do this. We have to get to this precipitous cliff. We have to muster up the courage to jump, not knowing what's going to happen, before we can realize that it's actually not precipitous. It's quite safe. But it seems scary. It's, it does seem scary. It says you with many sicknesses, you learn about medicine. But only if you get results may you dare to pass on the prescription. Only if you get results may you, may you dare to pass on the prescription. That's the prescription that was written on a 2,500-year-old paper. That's what we chant the lineage, those who passed on the prescription from one to another. But only you can feel that, fill it out and swallow it. Nobody will do it for you. It is the prescription. It does work. It does work. So again, are there levels? Yamada Kun uh, has a very nice analogy of uh, a ruler that has two sides and 
on one side there are lines. And then we think, well, you know, which well, I was here when I began, now I must be around number five, and how many stages do I have to go through? And yeah. But then when you flip it to the other side, it's all one ruler. Any point of it is a ruler. Flat. No levels, no lines. Not so easy to function in that because in that you have no name, you have no face, no address. You're not even there. And yet, you flip it to the other side and there you are. Number five, if you want five. I think you know the ten ox herding pictures. Another way to describe progress. And then the tenth one, it says, and also those are poems. With each with each picture, there's a poem next to it that is describing what is seen in the picture. The drawing. It says barefooted and naked of breast, I mingle with the people of the world. My clothes are ragged and dust laden, and I'm ever blissful. I use no magic to extend my life. Now before me, the dead trees become alive. Now what is what I thought is dull and maybe scary is alive and moving. Now, only now, every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. Every breath is a good breath. Every sashin is a good sashin. Thank you.